I'm one of your hosts, Road Not We already did that part. I know. Okay, guys, this has been another episode of Love in Brief. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Remember, I have to edit this. Welcome to Love in Brief, a very brief ABDL podcast focused on issues of love. Love for self, Mm -hmm. love for others, Mm -hmm. love for friends, Mm -hmm. love for community, and as we learned last week, Doggy puppy love. Uh, we're totally adding doggy puppy love. Just kennels and kennels of pure, pure love. Doggy puppy love. Uh, today we have two friends with us. We've got Keyframe and Tyler, and uh, they're here to talk to us today about addiction. I'm one of your hosts, Road Not Taken. And I'm that other one, Resonant Yes. And this is one that we've been, it's been in the works for a while, and we've been wanting to talk about potentially overlaps or... Uh, places where kink and particularly ABDL might even intersect with the topic of addiction. And I'll say this is a really hard topic and I'm particularly impressed with and proud of our two guests today for talking about it. For those who tuned in to episode 52, um, you got to hear about um, what it's like when repression can sometimes contribute to uh, substance abuse and how that might show up in Mm -hmm. actually the disease of addiction. And we're going to dig, I think, a little bit more deeply into that this week. So a huge thanks to both Keyframe and to Tyler. Yes, thank you both for coming on here. That's it's really brave and awesome that you can be so honest and open. Yeah. So I wonder maybe we'll start with you Keyframe if you could tell us a little bit about your love. Hi, I'm Keyframe. I'm so happy to be talking to you guys and my love is anytime two people connect. I think people are pretty isolated and anytime they're not that's love. I think I got that from Tom Robbins, actually. Ooh, I like that. And I love Tom Robbins. Maybe making it up. I don't know. So thank you for that. Keyframe, uh, Tyler, I wonder, tell us about your love. Okay, well, my name's Tyler. And I would say right now, my love would be family. Uh, I don't get to stay in touch with my mother and father as much as I'd like. And they got into a really bad car accident a few weeks ago. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. And uh, when that happened, it just put in perspective you know, how important they are to me and how much I do need to keep them in my life. So lately, especially my mother, I've been trying to, you know, talk to her every day on the phone. I'm going to probably see her next weekend. So just try to stay in touch with them and, you know, cherish the small things because you never know when, and I mean, they could have been gone, you know. Yeah. Family. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it sounds like. Definitely puts them top of mind. One of those moments that you never want or hope for, but may have some good come out of it. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of which, I think it's a really nice uh, point to make about the paths that we take in our lives in general. And I wonder if either of you would be willing to start by talking a little bit about um, how what the role of addiction has been in your life. I wrestled with anxiety and mental health in general. And I got it into my head in my 20s that there was a cure that was being pill form and I found Xanax and it was this aha moment. And then somewhere along the line, it went from treating myself and trying to feel good to just trying to feel nothing, to just trying to find oblivion. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere in there, I discovered opiates. And at that point it was like, why not? Um, and I became part of the opiate epidemic, which is a real thing right now. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I got clean and then was clean for a while and then relapsed really bad. And now I've been clean for three and a half years, which is not a lot of time if you're in recovery. Mm. Can I ask what the catalyst was for getting clean the first time around? It's also complicated and you can, you can put it all into a nice story with a beginning and middle and an end, but it's very hard um, to, to really know why we do what we do, but it was all part of moving to California. Uh, people are, are into being healthy here and I'm in such a bubble because my, my being in recovery is so accepted, but then I got my head up my ass and I relapsed. And, uh, the second time I got clean, I think is a little easier to explain. It really had to do with wanting to be present for the other people in my life. Uh, I felt like I felt like I was becoming so selfish and I didn't want to be that anymore, especially for my parents who started to decline, especially when my mom started to decline. I was like, I have to actually be here for this. Uh, and that was a lot of it. I actually have to show up to help my dad through this. And it kind of lit a fire under my ass to, to get it together. But listen, I want to stress one thing. Like, if someone is listening to me talk about this and it's not, like, syncing up with you, it's not, it's, it, it, I'm not making any sense to you. What I say doesn't connect to you. That's fine. Like, like, I don't know any, I know about my journey. I do not know about your journey. I can't talk about addiction for everybody. I can only talk about my experience and hope that somewhere, someone out there relates to it. Mm-hmm. That's that's a really good call out. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, and speaking of other journeys, um, Tyler, I wonder if you wouldn't mind telling us about your journey through addiction too. Well, um, I'm sure a lot of people that deal with being ABDL and having a problem with addiction. I mean, I I can't speak for everybody because it's like he said, everybody has their own journey with addiction, but. I would say probably most people turn to drugs because they're trying to repress feelings they have about their lifestyle, maybe. And they use drugs as a way to escape that. But for me personally, uh, ABDL, in a way, inadvertently led to addiction for me. Mm-hmm. Um I I never really had um, used quote unquote drugs, you know, like hard drugs, ever um, until I was twenty five. Um, the the girl I had been with for five years, we lived together and we were engaged, and uh, she broke up with me, and it devastated me, and I didn't know how to process it, and. While all this was going on, um, at the same time while this was going on, another friend, uh, a close female friend that me and my fiance were friends with at the time, um, we were hanging out with her one day and it came out, you know, she knew, and she told everyone, Mm. everyone, every single person in my immediate life. About My your sister kink. found out, like everybody found out, wow. and it was terrible. And wow, 
I didn't know what to do. And um, one day a friend who had been using heroin for a while asked me if I wanted to try it. And I guess he picked the right day. And all it, I mean, I know it sounds cliche, but it only took that one time. And it, it wasn't even a month before I was a full blown heroin addict. Mm. And from 2000, from 2013 till the end of 2017, I was, I gave my life to that. I remember it was the day after Thanksgiving 2017. My mom found out that I stole a bunch of my dad's stuff, which, you know, I've done terrible things to my parents while using, but I always told myself I would never take from them. And I knew once I did that, that I crossed the line and I was breaking their trust, you know, and, uh, my dad told me, he said, you know, I love you and, you know, I would do anything for you, but you know, this is, this is crossing a line. Like you have two choices, you know, you can, you know, we're going to call the police and have you arrested or you can go to rehab and we'll pay for it. You know, you can go to rehab. So I went to rehab for four months and did that. I have a hard time sometimes, just like anybody else would going through recovery. But I think the most important thing in this is that you have a good support system. It's just very important to have to have good people behind you with good intentions. But in that, in you know, using and, and getting clean. Um, ABDL has definitely helped me as far as a coping mechanism in a way. It's definitely made me, it's definitely made me feel a lot more, um, not proud, but just like, um, I don't really care that those people know anymore. You know what I mean? It doesn't affect my day to day life. Mm Mm-hmm. I think there's this myth that people get into addiction because somebody, you know, says, Hey kid, drugs are cool. But, (laughs) you know, we try things because we're trying to meet a need. There's something in us that's, that's calling out for a very specific need. And I wonder if, if either of you um, looking back, if you can see or recognize, you know, Hey, I think I know what that need was that I was trying to meet. And if there are other ways that you found to meet it now that you're in recovery. It's definitely a need that is not rational. Um, or there's something you do that, that bypasses the rational part of your brain and just goes to the lizard part that's just mine, me, you know. Yeah, I would definitely say that um, I still am looking for that need, I guess. I, um, I'm still looking for what what's trying to make me I want to I want to feel the way drugs made me feel without drugs. Um, it's very primitive, the way the things humans will do to make themselves feel better. You know, I use tobacco. I mean, I'm still using things that are harmful to me that I'm trying to quit, but I try to just take it one day at a time. For me, it, it was not that the need turned into a different need. For me, I, I felt that I had a need to fix myself with medicine. And 
I felt the need to, to find uh, obliteration and oblivion through this medicine. What I found out in my outpatient program was that I do not love myself. I had zero self-love. In fact, I thought the idea of self-love was impossible. And not only impossible, but so unbelievably uncool. It was not cool to go around loving yourself. Right. And uh, that was a big hurdle for me. And I had to, and, and I had to do these exercises in a workbook and man it was so it was like i had to grit my teeth through it and i just did them and they were about stuff like gratitude lists and stuff that sounds so even talking about it now i i get tingles up my spine talking about them but it worked and as uncomfortable as it is to talk about loving yourself it was something that i had to do mm. And uh, does any of that have to do with kink? I mean, you think, maybe. <laughs> you almost could make a whole podcast about uh, <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think all of us find ways to dodge that question of, am I lovable? And if you'd asked me 15 years ago, uh, if I was willing to, that if I'd ever be doing a podcast about self-love, I would... Uh, I would tell you you were insane uh, because I was also a Gen X kid who who learned that you know self love is is for pansies and it's not real um, and I'm just so grateful that I I found my way out of that narrative. And for my part, I never I, I'm not a Gen Xer, um, but I definitely can identify with the um, self love seems not only difficult but almost insane um i railed for a good long amount of time in my own therapy because i also have just copious amounts of anxiety so in my own therapy i i like i would get in actual session long conversations with my therapist about why you would ever want that like I didn't want to be conceited. And I was like, no, we're not special. Like, why would I need to love my, like, there's so many people who love their self themselves that I hate. Like, why would I want that? Why would I want that? Like sometimes right. people need to be taken down a peg. And what if I love myself and then I hate the person I become because I love that myself. And then like, um, it took an actual physical explanation of my therapist putting something on one side of the room and saying, this is conceit and arrogance this is selfless and self-sacrificing. And this is the triangle that makes self-love. It's not right in the middle. Like you accidentally love yourself too much and then you fall into being an arrogant right. jerk. Yeah. It's like right. a completely different world. And I was like, oh, okay. Like it took a while. Well, but. especially having, you grew up with a narcissist. So it, yeah. self-love looked like a very unhealthy thing, but that yeah. is not that is not self-love either. Yeah. No. Right. H has Has kink actually been helpful there? Have you been able to leverage that as one of those ways that you can have fun without going back to using. Yeah, it definitely, it, it most certainly has helped. It's definitely made, made it uh, to where I'm, I'm, I want to be more outgoing. I was, I've always been kind of a, um, if I, if no one's around to say something or make me recognize, I will not, I mean, I'll go to work obviously, but I'll go to work, come home, uh, my girlfriend will come over, but I won't go out anywhere in this recovery process. Yes, I've uh, kink has definitely ABDL has definitely helped me. Um, like I said earlier, as a coping mechanism, but also as a way to 
meet like-minded people. It sounds like self-love for you, Keyframe, was a necessary part of recovery or is a necessary part of recovery. And that, to me, I mean, even more so than engaging in kink or going to kink parties or whatever, the process of of accepting yourself right where you are um, sounds like the essential sort of turning point. It just didn't add up. The story didn't make sense. The story of who I was trying to be and and this other thing. Um, And I, I had to do really banal work. Like I said, if you do smart recovery, you get a workbook with exercises and you just, you do writing. When you ask what, what is this work that they're talking about in recovery? What is it? Well, it's basically journaling. It's organized journaling. You do a lot of it. You force yourself to do it. And, um, and now I have a girlfriend that knows exactly what turns my crank and <laughs> we find what works for us. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That is an, that is a success story. But you know, it's a work in progress. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's not, not decided. Oh, that's a shame. Cause the rest of us have it perfectly down. <laughs> oh yeah. Never yeah. fight over sex. <laughs> well, in this yeah. age, it seems like that. No, I, yeah. Oh no. God, that is absolutely not, not the case. <laughs> It's interesting to me that ABDL is sort of a stigmatized kink within kink, and kink is already slightly stigmatized. I think it's a lot more normal now. Um, but even within ABDL, I think issues like addiction and recovery can even be stigmatized within ABDL. So it's like a smaller into a smaller into a smaller. It's like, like a smaller into a smaller. Like Russian <laughs> nesting dolls of non-acceptance. Of non-acceptance. Yeah, and I'm wondering, like, what do you think the community – can or, or even has done at times that has been really helpful or could be helpful to somebody who is in recovery? What should they know? If you think that you're the only person that's ever done something, regardless of what it is, whether it's drugs or, you know, a fetish or whatever, you're never, ever, ever the only person that's ever done something. You're never, ever the only person that's ever felt a certain way about something. It can be hard and... I know that the few people that I have gotten close to in the community have reached out to me and they have definitely been a support system. You know, it's good to talk to people who are not using or people who are in recovery for help, but it's even better to talk to someone who, you know, is going through recovery, but is also knows how you feel being in that very specific kink that you're in. Mm-hmm. I bet. Keyframe, how about for you? Is there anything that you think the community should know or, or would even be helpful from the community for people who are in recovery? It's good to have empathy for people. And I would offer that you try to think about ways in which you are compulsive because everybody's got something, whether it might be, might be sex, it might be food, it might be a habit. Um, and that might help you understand I get why it's scary to people and if uh, I get why I maybe sowed some seeds when I was using that would make people not like me now. If that's what I'm reaping, then I'll roll with that and try and help the people around me as best I can. Uh, everybody's just doing what they can. That's great. That's great, that's great advice. Mm-hmm. Empathy. Yeah. And everybody's doing the best that they can. Yeah. And I feel like for every one, or in this case, two folks who come out and share their story the way that, that you guys both are, there are hundreds of people who might right now be in the throes of it, or maybe just beginning recovery, or even wondering, 
am, am I struggling with addiction? Like they might be right at that turning point. And it, you telling your story, um, I think is incredibly powerful mm-hmm. for those who might be in that space. I hope it helps. And again, if it doesn't, just don't listen to me. Find someone. <laughs> Can I just say both of you, you guys both feel so grounded. Mm-hmm. And I try I'm, to be. <laughs> I'm so like, I just, I am admiring both of you. And, yeah. and so thank you. This is so, this has been such a pleasure, such a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You guys helped me a lot. Let me come on here. Yeah, of course. And I know you're going to help a lot of people. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, is there a way that you would want them to do that? Um. Yeah, my Instagram is Diaper Patrol and FetLife is Big Toddler, no spaces. Cool. Keyframe, if uh, somebody wanted to get in touch with you, is that something that you would want them to do? And if so, how? I'm on FetLife as Keyframe. I check it like once a week. Cool. Um, so yeah, drop me a line. Amazing. And, um, the privilege of being able to talk about this with you guys, I, I, I won't, I won't uh, belabor it too much, but it really is a privilege for us. So thank you. Talking to you. And, uh, and for everybody else, um, whether you're going to Capcom or not, we wanted to let you know, we are doing another live Capcom show this year where you can Come say hello, um, bring your questions. We're going to field questions live. And if you're not going to Capcom, we are going to play that episode right after Capcom. So um, last year, that was one of our our huge favorites to get to do. And we get to do it again this year. And I just want to reinforce all the cute, brand new little clothes I'll be probably wearing during that time. (laughs) Yeah. You're very good. as As if you say it on TV or on the radio, it's real. It has to be true. Um, and also, if you're a person who's either in recovery or considering uh, the topic of addiction as it relates to your life, just know that um, we 100% believe that you are worth it and that you are lovable and that um, you don't need to stop using to be lovable, but that um, that I, I think you are worth the journey and uh, your kink nor your addiction doesn't change a bit of that. This has been another episode of Love in Brief. Love in Brief.